Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Essay Club podcast. On this episode, we talk about how to set up your essay units. On with the show. Good afternoon, Essay Club members. Welcome. Today's topic that Chris and I are going to be discussing is how to set up your essay units. Clearly a topic I imagine a fair few of you are interested in because a hurdle you can't really get round and is incredibly important. And so, yeah, we're just going to give you an idea of how we do business ourselves and how we've kind of streamlined the process now. We're going to kind of crest the waves because, to be honest, we could like pick out like literally one subject within this, i.e. how do you furnish a property and go for hours and hours. So this will be a bit of an overview, but I hope we'll be able to add some value as always. Probably, I'll dive in with probably what I consider the most important part of setting up a unit and then come to Chris for his opinion on that. But um, we've got a bit of a saying and that, that is that the, the, well, I say we, I've got a bit of a saying, but this will be, this can be Chris's saying as well now. And that is that um, Wi-Fi. The, the first rule of the SA Club is order the broadband. The second rule of the SA Club is, Chris? Order the broadband. There we go, yeah, we said that. We worked that one out together. I mean, I can't really underpin this enough. From our experience, I think Chris will back me up on this. We'll pretty much try and make the broadband ordering and the utility ordering the first thing we do. And probably the last thing, once everything else is done, we've probably even still got, we've probably even got guests in by that stage. So probably the niggles we'll still have at the end will relate to the broadband and or kind of utilities. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? One of the most important factors, and that's only due to the amount of time that it takes to gain the keys to all the legalities and then kind of get the uh, broadband provider on board and the installation, etc. So there's a number of ways we've combated this. One is systemization. So what we've done is go through a complete setup process. This is on the top of our list, and it is the first thing that we need to get in place. Most guests, well, 99% of guests now require broadband for work and for leisure, and therefore is something that is absolutely critical. One thing that we do use is mobile dongles. I'm sure Ben will expand upon it a little bit later, but as a kind of a backup plan for us if the utilities are not able to be set up especially during this time then it's quite a good idea to have some kind of dongle process or backup plan so we use uh, mobile dongles Uh, they're fairly inexpensive and we use them as a rotation as and when we're setting up the properties do you want to expand on that ben yeah, definitely. It's a really good one. In fact, we could have just done like a literary subject on internet in SA, but yeah. we prefer not to do that, but we'll, I'll, I'll kind of crest the waves. Dongles, really useful, as Chris said, because essentially if you've got signal there, you can provide some pretty decent internet. What I will caveat is that obviously if you haven't got decent signal there, you're not providing good internet and not all providers are born equal. So I think in the actual, without getting too techy, there are really, I think when you break it down, four providers of mobile broadband throughout the UK. So some of them have different names that they share the same networks, essentially. Where they work, they can be brilliant in all fairness. I mean, you can see speeds of 30 meg, rock solid, which can be good, but equally sometimes they can be really patchy and people can be barely sort of loading up web pages on their phones. So you've got to consider that. We have got a number of dongles from a number of different uh, network providers for this reason, so we can try and patch in the correct one. Yeah, they can be good, obviously, because they're mobile by their very nature. If you get nefarious guests, their mobile nature might actually serve as a negative. Um, and we've had a few <laughs> mobile dongles. Go to, mo- go to mobile, should we say. Just in terms of the price points, it's probably quite worth bringing out. You can always these dongles directly from, say, Vodafone or O2, etc. And that's all good and well. But like a mobile phone, because essentially all you're getting is a mobile phone SIM in a little dongle. If you order it from one company, it will be locked to that provider. So what we actually do is we order them off Amazon. We kind of reorder unlocked dongles and we just order the SIM cards. And that way we have maximum flexibility because we put any SIM card we want in the dongle and it will work for any provider. So there's a way to basically be a bit more scalable and not be locked in. 
to kind of um, one provider. Uh, we used to use Free, the network provider. We found actually where we are, they're not great. So we're finding Vodafone's probably our kind of primary go-to just for where we are. That's kind of that. So yeah, I said I wouldn't spend too long on mobile dongles and I only spent about four minutes. So that's fine. Yeah, just one more thing. I mean, we've got mobile dongles uh, within the office because they're actually faster than the connected one here. But like Ben said, I think uh, they can be very powerful. Be aware of black spots and they are a temporary measure, but we use them uh, specifically for a temporary measure during the setup process. Yeah, agreed. It's um, what I would say is it might be tempting to leave them in there forever and a day. I know some people do. Well, I believe that nine times out of 10, or we can probably say 99 times out of 100, fixed internet will be the better long-term solution. So yeah, internet, done. And the other one I would put very, very close to that is getting your insurance ordered. Now, this is nowhere near as difficult. If you've got a good broker, in fact, this should be relatively seamless and take 24, 48 hours. But making sure that when you take the unit on, that you have the correct insurance for that unit. And what you're looking for is public liability and contents insurance for the property. From my experience, pretty much you won't get a provider that will insure less than £10,000 worth of contents, which I'd argue for most units, you're probably not putting more than 10 grand's worth of your own contents in there anyway. So normally you can go over 10 grand contents policy and then a decent bit of public liability just to protect against the guests doing sort of damage to themselves. That's insurance. You got any thoughts on that, Chris? That's pretty yeah, no, no, it's pretty self-explanatory. Get the insurances in to reduce your liability. Uh, things will go wrong. Don't forget about insurances through online travel agencies as well and the way they kind of do business. The knowledge of that, I think, can be very useful as well and how they pay out if uh, things go wrong. So, yeah. Agreed. I mean, uh, I think two bits in. Um, Use a broker that understands SA. Don't just use any broker and make sure you're getting a good product. So, I mean, yeah, if you get a really good broker, then you can trust them, but obviously still read through it yourself and make sure it seems relevant. From my experience, if you use a broker that doesn't quite understand the business model, they might end up trying to get you to insure the property against like things like earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, all that good stuff, which that's the landlord's risk to insure. So you just want to be insuring the guests and the furniture in worse effect. Okay, cool. So, um, that is insurance. So I actually know what point I was going to make is insurance is important. And we've actually had the first instance now where that insurance has come into play. It's just sort of for awareness. So it's not a case of get it and then it will be of no use. We had the first time we're actually going through the first period now where potentially that insurance might be required, which is, um, yeah, so we're learning more about that process as we go forward. Cool. So basically once you've got the keys to the property, you've hopefully ordered the broadband and ordered the insurance. I mean, the next step, probably from our perspective, is we would normally send the team in and look to do any light refurbishment work initially would probably be the most efficient next step. So be that any painting, any um kind of uplifting of the property. Now, you might be in a really good position where you've got a brand new property with a it's just had a fresh refurb and none of that's required. But I would suggest in terms of doing things in the right order, you want to kind of do the mucky stuff next while the property's empty. So yeah, get fresh paint on the walls, put some new carpet down, that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that's a whole other subject in itself. That's what we suggest you kind of do in terms of the first physical action in the property. Any thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just go back one more step. And it's something that's tripped us up in the past is keys, keys, keys. So okay. what we do is we uh, get the piece of the property, they get cut immediately. We've gone over and above and beyond here, and we get a key for the guest, a spare key for the guest, a key for maintenance, a key for housekeeping, and a spare master set stays in the office with myself. And this is only trial and error from you, our you, part. You don't know where we hold all the keys, Chris. Oh, I've got to move that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, let's move them. Um, yeah. So, so a, a really important, and the next step will be putting a lockbox, if that's available, on the property, 
or in fact getting a key net. We use key nets for different properties. Getting that in there straight away so that all the people that are involved in the setup process have access to the keys. There's no dilly-dallying around and everyone knows uh, the code. So we update our codes onto a spreadsheet. Everyone knows where they are. Everyone can access the property. So that would be my uh, first step. With the refurb, yeah, um, we've kind of taken on properties where we've just taken them as is. What we find is that we can talk to the landlords or the letting agents or the owners of the property and we can kind of negotiate to a certain degree new carpets and um, uh, new paint work throughout. Most of the time, I'd say 90% of the time, they, they're more than willing to, to do this. They, they understand that the upkeep of the property is paramount. Then we're getting a property that is completely freshly painted and has brand new carpets for the guests and, and it changes the look on the property. I think you'll agree, Ben. Yeah, agreed. Exactly. I mean, that's a whole what bit in itself is actually sort of refurbing and negotiating that with the landlord. But what I would say is if you're going to do that kind of stuff, do it up front. Just get the property as good as possible right at the beginning. Don't think, oh, we'll get to that. Let's see how it runs for six months. And again, the time to negotiate is obviously with the landlord is when you're negotiating. You don't want to sort of go to them six months into the lease handing cap and go, oh, carpets aren't actually quite where I'd like them to be. So something you can negotiate up front. And yeah, quite often we'll get either the landlord to do completely replace the furniture, not sorry, not to furniture, the carpets, and or um, yeah, potentially do a lick of paint, or maybe if not a 50-50 kind of split, just something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're taking the unit on, I would suggest you'd be looking for a long-term agreement. We typically look for three years, and landlords that we offer that to seem to be a lot happier to obviously spend a little bit because they're getting consistent long-term guaranteed rent locked in. So um, yeah. Definitely a valuable thing to do. So, yeah, from that step, really, and a great point, Nikki. Thank you, Chris. Getting the refurb and sort of mucky stuff done then is really valuable. The next step I would strongly suggest then is once you've got that work done to do a deep clean of the property. We actually suggest doing two cleans and we'd suggest doing the real deep clean here. So once you've kind of done major mess or not, get the property as clean as possible while it's got nothing in it. Because obviously your housekeeping team will be able to do the best job possible while there's less furniture to move around. There's, lots, there's no sofas to lift up, etc. Yeah, that's obviously massively important. You'll get better scales out of that. And it doesn't mean you don't ever clean it again, but you do the real deep clean now in terms of doing skirting boards, going on top of cupboards and all that kind of stuff, while there's a minimal sort of amount of stuff in there to negotiate around. Happy that, Chris, is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, so the deep clean at the end is quite obvious. I think as well, at this point, it may be an idea to just get more members of your team to kind of view the property. So what we tend to do is, uh, well, first, take a step back. Once it's deep cleaned, we have an accountability process, which is a kind of template that we adhere to, and we've just refined it now. Uh, and all these things are then attributed back to the person that is in charge of that, because there could be some disparity on who's in charge of what, i.e. broadband installation, the, the cleaning, the bins, etc. So having that kind of checklist enables us to highlight who's in charge of that and who's accountable for it if it's not done. Yeah, just going on to getting members of your team just to have a look at the properties was ideal for us, especially when you're scaling, just to get the people that normally would see the property but can't for any reason, IEA or bookings team, so that they can have an appreciation of the property itself, uh, know the main area, the access points, etc., and what was in and around the area. Any thoughts on that, Ben? Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, the reality is we're talking, uh, some of the things invariably we're talking about now at the point where we've got teams and systems in place. Obviously, when you're starting out and you've done a fair amount of the work yourself or you've been directly involved in it, then you kind of, if there's a booking issue, as a guest wants to know where something is, you'll have the answer to that. But obviously, as you grow, your bookings team potentially won't. So it is very useful for 
everyone involved in your team as you grow to actually have an understanding like well, yeah, where do people park, what's nearby, etc. Because then they can provide a better service to guests. Because obviously it's not going to come off very well if the guests call up with a problem and your team literally have nothing. And obviously one of the ways you can also try and get around that is obviously just have very good documentation. So documentation, video guides, basically as much as possible. So if there's an issue, your booking team have got hopefully a spreadsheet and or extra extra sort of things to look at, which they can actually provide help to the guests too. Yeah, I think even if you are starting in SE, it's important to just have that checklist right yeah. from the outset and the accountability right from the outset. You know, even in the early days when it was myself, Ben and our respective wives, I think even just having that checklist of who is accountable for these things would have been a lot more beneficial, I suppose, in the immediate. And then as people come on and then you take people on within the business, then that can just be found out. But that systemization and accountability factors in there from the beginning. Yeah, I agree. I know we're going on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's a really valid one to talk about. Checklists are important in any business, a massive advocate of it. We personally use Asana. We'll probably do a um, live on just Asana at some point. But essentially in Asana, we build lots and lots of checklists. And we've just kind of really upped our game with regards to that and our setup process now. And we're trying to get every single facet and every single responsibility on that one list. So that essentially every property will get done to that same standard and things won't get missed because otherwise... Unfortunately, the reality is the ultimate backstop, if you miss things, are the guests complaining about that omission, be that the cooker doesn't work, that the um, internet doesn't work. And I mean, things will get missed. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit of a saying, but the lowest level of your business falls back to the sort of your systems. And so having them in place from day one, as Chris said, having a checklist, and especially electronic one, is, I think, quite a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so when did you get Asana from um, Deep Cleaning? I'm impressed, Chris. So let's (laughs) drag this back on course, desperately. Um, (laughs) Furnishings, um, expansive topic. We're not interior designers. I mean, look at us, um, in our respective sort of our setups. <laughs> Taste, style, design is not a thing that we, either of us could be accused of in any way, shape or form. We have other strengths, but not design. But you do need to put furniture in your property. What I would say, just as the one that has come to me on this, sometimes you'll take properties up on that are furnished. Well, the landlord's already got furniture in. Sometimes, I'd say unfortunately not often, but sometimes the furniture will be spot on and exactly what you want. You And then that's an, that's like a kind of a unicorn deal then. Because if you get a property that's completely upholstered to the great standard, great painting, well, literally good to go. I mean, that's epic because you're saving on all your furniture costs. So that's like the, uh, the holy grail of SA deals in many ways. They are few and far between. And quite often you'll get landlords, you take properties on and actually they are furnished, but I mean, it's pretty much always the same black leather sofa. I swear they've rotated around all the properties with you. You know what I mean? It's always a really cheap black leather kitchen, not kitchen set, sort of sofa set in there. Reality is you don't want to be having rubbish furniture. Your guests deserve better. They deserve a good standard. Now, you might be actually be able to sort of use some of it and not use some of it. An example would be maybe um, the mattresses are rubbish, but the bed frame's not too bad, actually. So you might kind of be a little bit of mix and match and things you can get away with. But ultimately, you don't want to be settling for worse level furniture just because the landlord's put it in there. So what we do in that instance, I mean, the first instance, we'll ask the landlord, look, can you get rid of it? It's not good enough. And they may say, oh, fine, i put it in storage or whatever. Some of them will just be like, oh, well, no, I don't want to deal with that. So what we do, we offer to get rid of it. They might be happy for you just to get rid of it. If it's really old, knackered furniture, they might be like, actually... Yeah, fair one. Um, it's pretty rubbish furniture. Just get rid of it. Uh, in the other instance, what we sometimes do, if it's a really long-term deal, we'll go, look, the bits of your furniture, we'll get rid of it. And what we replace it with, at the end of our long-term agreement, you can just hold on to the furniture we've replaced it with because by then our furniture will be quite old and tatty anyway. And, I mean, that's a massive win for them because they end up getting nicer, newer furniture for free. So that's kind of like our extreme 
like if we have to go to that, obviously anything before that is, is good. But what we don't want to be doing, in short, is paying to store some landlord's rubbish old leather sofa that's some already six years old when we take the property on, because actually that'll work out a lot more expensive in the long run, I would suggest, depending on how you can, what your cost of storage and actually just, um, yeah, buying some new stuff and giving it to them at the end of the term. Thoughts on that before we just go into furniture as a bigger subject, Chris? No, but I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. We have had instances where the landlord's standard of the furniture differs slightly from ours. So it is a little bit of a... Um, Very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it differs slightly. So, yeah, it's, it's something definitely to be aware of that if you come across a deal or uh, you take on a property that um, you think, oh, it's fully furnished, this is brilliant, be aware that I would say 90% of the time it is not necessarily up to the standard for service accommodation. Cool, perfect. Right, so furniture itself then. So say you've got the property empty or you're going to replace some furniture. In terms of choosing the designs, we kind of slightly did the right thing back in the beginning. We did try and copy people that clearly were doing a lot better in terms of design style than us. So we're going to be looking for like nice SA units to look at. We're going on the Facebook groups, seeing who's got sort of nice pictures. And yeah, if, if all else fails, actually just looking at the kind of units you want to emulate and then kind of using them for design ideas is a really good sort of way to get going and get some sort of free interior design advice. In terms of furniture you're going to use then, so... You want to be going for good quality, nice furniture. You don't want to be spending a fortune. And there's definitely a very interesting line to sort of follow in terms of like spend versus quality because you want to find that right area because you don't want to get rubbish that you have to replace. But equally, you don't want to spend a fortune on furniture that might get in time kind of heavily used, should we say. So you want to find that. I mean, one of the things, for example, we learned is that flat pack furniture is the enemy of everything in all shapes and forms. The bed especially, we go for divan beds, kind of pre-built, ready-made now. Furnishing the property can take an incredibly large amount of time. And initially, I know a lot of people getting into SA, and ourselves included, we know we didn't have anywhere near the appreciation of just how long it would take to set up like one property. The amount of trips back and forth to the shops, the amount of sort of procrastination over a lamp for half an hour, et cetera, et cetera. So it could be a potentially long time period. So um, furniture is something you've got to get right. Look for inspiration if you can't sort of outsource it. But equally, if you can, if you've got somebody who, in terms of just the design, you're going to freely, it's probably going to be able to give you a better overall look. It's definitely sort of working with somebody from the outset to kind of give you a steer. I know people, for example, that I'm helping at the moment set up SA businesses and they've actually just gone straight in and basically just got an interior designer to come and basically tell them what they need and give them literally a shop in this just so they can hit the ground running with a really good standard. Yeah, I think in the initial stages, we looked more for price point than we did for quality. I felt in the initial stages that I was a bed slat engineer (laughs) at one point. And I think I counted about 750 slats I I, um, put together. Um, With the spacers on the beds, it's like, I think it's really (laughs) First couple of beds, you get these spaces to put the slats in, and you're like mm. diligently, like millimeter perfect. So, I think by like the seven or eight bed, it's just like they're like overlapping and all sorts, and every angle. But I know as long as the mattress technically stays on, and yeah, it's not worth your time, guys. No, no, it's, it's, uh, and that's what I was going to lead on to is time, 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 time costs money, and. So Ben is completely correct. What we learned was that we were buying uh, very cheap quality beds. The slats were breaking. We were having to repair these. They'd go again uh, when we'd end up getting kind of that pre-made divan. So we kind of fell into that slightly. We, we got a good relationship with a bed dealer now, and they just come pre-made. I mean, if you factor in the amount of the cost of getting someone to build these and drill slats all day, it's just cost versus reward is just not there. And you can just get them up so, so much quicker. The same mm-hmm. with um, bedside tables and cupboards as well. I mean, they come pre-built. They're usually at a better standard and 
in the long run these lets. So yeah, yeah and you can move them as well. It's probably not something we even considered yet, Chris. But like, I mean, if it, the stuff's tougher, you can actually move it between units. Whereas the reality yeah, is, well, not pat, pat furniture. If you get it, it's pretty much designed to be strong enough to be assembled once. And that's yeah. it. If you tr- try and take it apart again, it probably isn't going to survive the journey. If we're being yeah, honest. No. I've got like, a few more bits on furniture, but actually Naomi's jumped in with a question, so I'm going to um, throw that in. So, um, Naomi, views on washer-dryer and dishwashers, price and space limited. Really good question. Mm-hmm. Our experience, I would say, washing machine for clothes is a must, essentially, that you can't get around that. Mm-hmm. Washer-dryer preferable, because obviously you're giving them the flexibility then, but I wouldn't say yet. Yeah, it's not vital to have the dryer. You can get away with clothes sorts, and we do have like that set up in a lot of our properties. I mean... I'd probably say from our perspective, quite a few of the properties we take on are obviously have the white goods installed already and they'll have a washing machine but no dryer. So for us, just putting a decent quality clothes source in, we'll kind of review that. Again, dishwasher, we've never, I'm confident saying we've never actually retrospectively put a dishwasher in. So again, if it comes as a unit as standard, massive bonus, not in any way, shape or form vital. And I don't think, again, I don't, I don't think we've ever had a complaint about dishwashers. We probably had a complaint about not providing enough clothes horses. Again, that was on us. That's a fair point. Um, but yeah, never had a complaint about not having a cap like an automatic dryer or tumble dryer and never had anyone moan about dishwasher. Thoughts, Chris? I completely agree. I think you've got to look at these things as selling points. If you can get one in a dishwasher, so what Ben said is absolutely spot on. Washing machine is completely a no-brainer. You have to provide that, in my opinion. A dishwasher, a lot of the time they come with the property or there isn't space for one. However, if there is space for one, think of it as a marketing tool. Then, mm. okay, you can spend approximately £200 on a dishwasher, but you can also market it as such and the guests do like it. So it's all down to space, but the necessities come first. Wash and dryer, in all honesty, we've never had any kind of complaints or intimations that they want that as a preference. If it was a choice between both, we'd just do it for the marketing value and the appeal. Yeah, it depends on the units. I mean, if it was like a really high-end unit, you'd want to go all out. And if it was rent to SA, yeah. you kind of want to work with what you've got to a degree. Obviously, you don't want you want to have a minimum standard, and we say the washing machine, minimum standard. If it was like your own unit, i.e. a purchase to SA, then I personally would just go all out. Yeah, I'd have a dishwasher. I'd have a washer slash dryer, the whole lot. But obviously, with rent to SA, you've got to keep your overheads down. And yeah, just not completely sort of like we do somebody else's house. Yeah, furnishings, we could go out on for ages. So I'm going to really try and pick up some sort of key themes here. I'd say a couple of most important things from my perspective, you want to spend your money on decent quality sofa or sofa bed. You're going to think where are the people going to spend their time? They're going to spend it on the sofa slash sofa bed. So you want to make that comfy and sort of decent and decent quality mattresses as well. Because again, they're going to spend the time watching TV or they're going to spend the time in bed. Those are the two main areas. So that's quite important. Providing enough dining space for people. So if you've got a listing, say, look, eight people can stay here and then you've got a table and chairs of two people you're going to get issues and we've again hands up fallen foul of that a couple of times back in the past so we now are a lot more stringent on making sure that, that if we offer that obviously that can be accommodated yeah, i think this is a really good point because it took us quite a while to realize this and it's quite an obvious thing as well like ben said you're catering to a larger group in most cases especially if you're in the contract um, contractor market and we were finding the, the negative points coming back was well, there's not enough dining space so now we never really thought about it or thought that it would be such an important factor until we had that feedback. So, yeah, good point. Yeah, and I mean, it probably it almost goes a step back to actually determining the layout of your property. Maybe what we were guilty of, to a degree, but I think we weren't entirely, but could, you could argue slightly guilty of, is actually trying to maximise occupancy at the detriment of communal space. 
almost like the typical HMO thinking. We see a three-bedroom house with two reception rooms. We go, brilliant, it's a four-bedder straight away, out of hand. Not the case. And I think we very quickly learned that lesson. So I'm definitely sort of, I'm glad to say that's dropped the ball on that once, really. And then we retrospectively went back and changed it back to a three-bedder. So if you're going to try and do something like that and basically make extra bedrooms downstairs because there are additional reception rooms, you've got to make sure that you're still leaving a perfectly decent, specific dining area and a kind of lounge area that's actually going to, people are going to be able to practically use. Yeah, just going on the lounge area as well. I think in the beginning, we went comfort, first of all, then we went style over substance. And what we were finding was we were getting quite opulent looking sofas, sofa beds, but they just weren't comfy and the legs were breaking, etc. So you've got, I mean, it's really is that balance of getting that correct. You're going to have to spend a bit more, basically, guys. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You're going to have to realise you're just going to factor in a bit more spend. Well, I think we've got a pretty good balance, I would suggest now, but we do have to spend a little bit more for it. But it works out in the long run. Naomi says, that's me. I think she's talking about the time to set up is crazy. Great, thank you. So yeah, absolutely. You can get quicker. There's definitely some things we can suggest, I think, to sort of try and speed you up a bit. But it's a lot of work at the end of the day. It is surprising. I say we all, I always term it like you're basically moving house all the time without the actual pleasure of... um then sitting in your house once you've moved because we then go on and move to another house. Just for Naomi as well, uh, it's something to consider and something we didn't do is to get help because there's so many factors that you've got to take care of, you know, not just the insurances, the mortgages, depending on your strategy, the Wi-Fi, utilities, all these things, it requires time. And if you're setting up yourself, it might be beneficial just to bite the bullet and have that kind of handyman come in and set that property up for you, which means that you can get the property listed quicker, which means you can get returns in quicker so i think it's a really valuable point that the four of us just kind of went hell for leather and didn't really maximize our time but again we've learned you now we have people that help to set the process because we know that we can get that listing straight up and we can call that money back in a couple of bookings if we could be a three or four days quicker no, I agree. It's really valuable. I mean, what I would say is we're like, I'm a massive advocate of leverage, bringing people in teams, etc. Maybe to begin with, because obviously everyone's situation is different, but even getting somebody in literally just to help with like, say, some of the nuances, such as putting up blinds or something, just like literally you can get somebody in to help for five or six hours as a setup process, just to really hump and dump the big stuff, kind of do a couple of the really fiddly tasks. It will push you along that much more quickly and potentially you find someone to do that for quite a competitive rate. I mean, in some instances as well, you're setting up a complete house, putting up curtains, curtain poles, and all of these things whilst they don't really sound like they take too much time I mean you could lose hours on curtain poles don't go right bring in the experts and try and factor that into the costs from the start I think would really maximise the efficiency of trying to get that SA unit up and running immediately yeah. that's, what, that's what we're after essentially no I agree I mean, another point purchasing stuff we have condensed the amount of places we buy stuff from to try and reduce the amount of trips if going out shopping we buy a lot of stuff in bulk now which obviously is something we would suggest so obviously get further down the line but also we get a lot of our main furniture from one place and it gets dropped in from one go because we've definitely been there where we've had a property and we ordered a million things from Amazon and Wayfair and Dunelm and all online and essentially we've just had a bombardment of parcels for about a week straight and stuff getting shoved in gutters and down side alleys and all sorts you know what I mean it's just like bombardment of parcels it's quite inefficient so trying to condense the places you get stuff from and it potentially if you might work out as better as you get for example if you're using Amazon which we still use Amazon a lot in all fairness getting that delivered to a central hub and then taking it to the property because you're not going to be at the property all the time that's kind of the sticking point here and then if you get those old sorry we missed you please visit our depot that's 40 miles away like my oh. little that'd be slightly frustrating yeah very, very. cool and then we've got another question would you market the house put up a listing before professional photos taken yes Good question. Really good question. Very important. Short answer. It's actually really something poignant for us at the moment because we're actually going through that now. And I think 
sorry, Ben, just to jump in, but I think for us as well, getting that listing straight up just allows your other kind of processes to be enabled. It gets the marketing straight out there. And some of the uh, online platforms require a certain amount of time to kick in as well. Is it 24 hours for booking? I mean, there is, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule, but it appears from when we do it, when we put something on Airbnb and booking.com, while it will say listing, you can actually kind of find it in a weird way you can't, if that makes sense. For about 24 hours, I kind of, my perception is it doesn't really fully list on the platform. So I'm not saying it's a huge amount of time, but it's definitely a factor. But yeah, I would say in short, get it listed. If you've literally just got the keys and you think it's going to take you a fortnight to set the property up, Get it listed a month ahead because, I mean, bar any major complications, you should hit that target. Put a picture up. I mean, if the entire interior is like trash, just get a picture of the outside. If you've got a couple of rooms that look all right, I mean, kitchens and bathrooms, you don't normally have to do too much to them. So do what basic photos you can. Go through the process we've described. And then basically, again, probably as soon as you've got the basic furniture in, the beds aren't dressed, just choose that one moment where the room's not too full of plastic, cardboard, polystyrene and just chaos. Try and get a few more tactical shots and essentially improve your photos as you go through. When you come to get the property professionally photographed, set the property up and then make sure you've got half an hour before the actual photographer's there and you go around and do your smartphone pictures as well as you can. You'll end up with some decent pictures, obviously, of a dressed, nice property. Again, just as a point, I'm saying your photographer, as in there's literally no choice. Use a professional photographer. I'm not, we're not even allowing any variance on that whatsoever. So you will be getting a professional photographer in. But prior to that, do the best ones you can on your phone. And then for the four or five days it takes for them to process your photos, you've still got better photos up. Definitely some hoovering going on in my house. <laughs> fine. I mean, I can't what we're doing Facebook Live, but fine. Um, no, no issues whatsoever. But yeah, get it listed as soon as possible. And then again, as you get closer on your timeline where you're happy that you're going to be able to go live, so literally you've got the photographer in and you're pretty much good to go, you can bring that timeline forward just to sort of try and get guests in, try and get some money in the bank, basically. Any thoughts? No, it's a really good question and things that we didn't do again from the beginning, but we learned just to care. And if you're using software such as Beyond Pricing and things like that, again, it takes a little bit of time for the, those things to sink in. I think you're right, Ben. You just probably goes on immediately. You block it out for a certain amount of period and then you bring that back as necessary. If you haven't got any photos for whatever reason are coming soon, we've used that in the past. Shots of the kitchen and the bathroom if they're in a good condition because they've already got the main things in and people like to know what kind of kitchen and bathroom state it's going to be in. So don't be worried about putting up substandard photos in the beginning because you're just getting those algorithms working, getting the listing up. It kind of forces you to kind of speed the process up a little bit as well. So yeah, really good question. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, I like that actually, just as a holding your feet to the fire, because it's easy to kind of like potentially drag things on a bit, because it's not ready, it's not ready, but if you get the listing up and you also get a photographer booked in, it gives you a kind of end date, which is always good to kind of have yeah, something to kind of push you along. Uh, Laura's just joined, says, hi, if it's someone else's property you're managing, so we're talking about management to SA, so you're not the one paying the rent, somebody else is paying the bills, but you're managing it for them, quite like a letting agent, but clearly doing SA, would you insist on redecorating and getting new furniture to a certain standard, and would they pay for that? Very good question. Chris and I definitely have the same opinion on this. In short, you should not be taking on properties to manage if the standard's not good enough. From our perspective, we're kind of lucky, I'd say, that most of the properties we manage, we actually take them on when they're empty and we're the ones that actually furnish them for the landlord or the investor. So we get a lot of control up front, which kind of overrides that issue because the whole point is they don't want to do any work. They want us to do it all. So we get the control. If you're in a situation where the landlord's already furnished a property or it's already maybe being used as SA or whatever it takes, it's like that. In short, at the end of the day, yes, it's their property and it's their money, um, but it's your reputation as well. You're the one managing the property for them. You're doing all the work. It's your listing. It's your face on Airbnb. It's your face on booking.com. It's your business at the end of the day fronting this. And you've got to have a standard that's representative of your business. 
And if the property isn't good enough, you need to be telling the landlord investor that. And yes, it will be on them to pay because that's the whole point of management. They put the money in, you do the work, essentially. So yeah, if it needs some improvement before you would even consider taking it on, then yes, you should do. Chris? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's the main key point there is reputation. And if someone comes to you with a management of a property that is not up to standards, then in all honesty, I would say not to take it on until it is up to a standard and advise on how it can be up to a standard. Mm -hmm. We've not taken on properties because we know that if we put that out there and it's just going to come back to you, you're going to get bad reviews and it is your reputation. So yeah, definitely something to think about. In the beginning stages as well of setting up SA, it's quite easy to take on any kind of property because you really want to get this ball rolling. But I think you've just got to temper things just slightly and just have a standard in mind and try and keep to that. But essentially, it's your product. It's also not worth your time as well. Probably as a manager, you're going to have to spend more of your time managing it because it's actually causing you problems and you're going to be making less money. So it's like a double negative almost. And it's going to impact the reputation of your business. I mean, again, we arguably took a couple of properties on we shouldn't have done sort of during the course of our journey. And in the long and short of it, we've been in the position to find ways to basically take them off the books. They were never going to quite reach where we wanted them to be. And we kind of maybe have just hand on heart, we made a mistake taking them on. But equally, we've gone back now and I'd say we're very happy with what we've kind of got on our books. Yeah, great question, Nora. So furnishings, kind of running back to that, probably I'd say that we could go to an infinite degree. Probably the two final points I would bring out are don't skimp on how you furnish the property. Put everything in the property that's needed. So the things that we probably were remiss of, um, high chairs, kind of like the more family orientated stuff, because we had like very contractor orientated houses to begin with. That was all good and well. But because we actually, I'd argue, have a very high standard of houses throughout, they're still going to cater to elements of the hospitality market. And so we've had to retrospectively go back in and put things that would be more orientated towards families. So for us, yeah, we tend to just put everything that can be needed for all the guest archetypes in our properties now. So that we're not running around worrying about logistics or maybe having to like pull our one high share in between nine properties. So I think, yeah, just probably just making your life easier and getting everything they need in. And that also includes cleaning supplies. So we actually have a hoover, as an example, in every one of our properties. And that serves a dual purpose. It means the guests have a decent amount of stuff to clean the property themselves. But also our housekeeping team don't need to take a hoover around with them because they know there's a hoover in every property for them. So it makes their life easier because they're already lugging loads of linen. So, yeah, that's kind of that. And then my final point probably on furnishings is how you actually um, finance them. Variety of options, clearly dependent on your personal position, but... You could buy cash or you could potentially use some variety of finance. Furniture finance is quite popular with a lot of investors because while you obviously pay a lot more in the long run for your furniture, it does get your cash back straight away, which you can then put into another deal. You got any other thoughts regarding furniture, Chris, before we move on? No, I think you said it all there, Ben. Cool. Awesome. Right, cool. So we've probably got three final points here. Condiments, interesting subjects. I mean, I think we covered a little bit of this before, but in short, we kind of provide the same kind of level of condiments as a hotel. So basic tea, coffee, pods, toilet roll, a few extra bits in the kitchen, such as salt, pepper, cling film. But you kind of want to have a standard list of condiments. Look at buying in bulk for them, obviously, for all of your property and just kind of stick to that template. I think we covered this quite a lot in a live on Wednesday. So if you want a lot more information on condiments, please go back down the SA Club and the, the live we did only a couple of days ago. I have quite a lot of information on that. Cool. Uh, guest books. I think actually we covered that last on Wednesday as well. So if you want more information, <laughs> guest books. <laughs> yeah, it was quite in depth actually on the 
guest books. Yeah, but again, guest books, get them done, get them done, soft copy and hard copy. And yeah, probably the final section I think we've covered today is actually photography. So once you've got your lovely property painted, furnished, biscuits everywhere, a lovely guest book, et cetera, et cetera, then you're going to need to get good photos. And we've already hit it upon it slightly, but in every way, shape or form, unless you happen to be a professional photographer already who probably specializes in properties, I wouldn't even say a special photographer in general, one that knows how to do property photos, probably even more specific, one that specializes in essay photography. Unless you happen to be an essay photographer already, I would strongly, strongly consider getting a someone in to do that again it's outsourcing it's leveraging so it takes quite a while to do these photos time you could be spending better and the level of expertise and equipment required to do it properly i mean in my opinion it's essentially not really even something you can argue either way if you're doing service combination as a business you should be doing this Thoughts, Chris? yeah so we use a professional photographer and, and within our package he also produces uh, bespoke property media it covers pretty much all the south wales and a bit of southwest england so if you want yeah, to listen- um, drop us a message and we'll put him in chat yeah he's a really good guy I think he's one that we could get on potentially for a guest speaking because there's a lot of things that are involved in the the, the kind of the setup of the shoot the lighting etc so we can really help out but what Martin does for us is produce a video as well a short video anywhere between 30 seconds to 2 minutes he likes going on the 2 minute line but it's enabled us to then embed that onto our website for direct bookings and also with the direct bookings we tend to just send these out as links so that people can actually view the property itself in its entirety there's only so much that photos can do what other little hints and tricks have we done we kind of put our business name as well now on little kind of little heart placards and things during the photo shoots so little upsells here and there let the professional do the work they know far more about lighting than you or i ben even with your new iphone and uh and give talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so um get yourself a good photographer and uh, yeah we can put mine's link in below as well cool no perfect that's awesome oh laurie got another question how do you keep track of how much stock you have in each property linen if hired and toilet rolls etc to make sure you don't ever run out or no linen goes missing do you track it in any way really good question so when a lot of people start up in service accommodation and the advice quite often is like assign a cupboard get an outdoor storage area this kind of stuff and clearly you want to have a bit of rolling stock on the property you don't want to be replenishing it each time but equally what i would say if you're looking to set up and scale your service accommodation business so you don't want one or two units i'd consider getting a centralized location in your operating area sooner rather than later so essentially having all of your condiments in one place, all of your linen supply in one place. And then from there, each time your property goes to by your housekeeping team, they don't need to kind of like manage the store in the property. They've got like a centralized one. So they take what they need off the shelves. They go there, they replenish, they remove the old linen, take it back to your central storage unit and work on that premise. Because genuinely, we did the store per property to begin with. And we got to like three or four properties and already it was becoming untenable because essentially what we were doing is managing four separate storage facilities. And it's like, how many coffee pods are at that house X and how many are house Y? It's like, we could be tracking it, but that's four separate tracking systems then. Whereas actually having everything centralized, a lot more efficient. Now, obviously it depends on where you are. And I would say if the first couple of units is not the end of the world, but I think as soon as you hit three or four, you should be looking at sort of some cheap local storage solution, i.e. renting a garage, or you get those sort of storage places where you can just rent like a small part in a kind of warehouse, etc. Yeah. There's not really any excuse cost-wise not to go and look at that relatively soon down because most places, I mean, maybe if you're in London, that might not be the case. But obviously the rest of the UK, you can probably find storage for relatively sort of low numbers. Which yeah, that, the process. 
Yeah, that was one of the biggest things I was just going to bring up. And I've put down a couple of tips here. Stash B, that's one good company that rent out small spaces, uh, mm-hmm. anywhere between kind of like 45 and a hundred pounds. And if you think about it, a hundred pounds a month sounds a lot, but the uh, logistical nightmare of four or five, six separate locations that your linen drops have got to go to condiments not be in there, having to leave the property to go get the condiments from another centralised location or buy them, it far outweighs itself. And it, it can be factored into other costs, like cleaning costs or anything that you charge guests. Yeah, get yourself a centralised location with keys and spare keys. But you can also give the access then to the cleaners, so it's all centralised from one position. So massive advocator of that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of linen, I mean, it all depends on your linen company, but essentially with us to keep track of how much linen we've got every Friday, the linen gets counted. As part of the process, we need to report that to the linen company we hire from anyway. And actually, we hire our linen. It's as simple as that. We find it a lot simpler than buying our own linen. And I think probably more, again, more cost effective because linen's expensive, especially when really we have three sets of linen per property. So yeah, we've got a fair amount of linen now. And yeah, it works out more cost effective to hire it. And I think, so I hope that answers your question, Laura. I think it's also the time factor of, you know, if you're getting your own linen and you're doing the kind of the cleans and the drying, that's a process in itself. So yeah, heavily look into the hiring of linen and the cleaning of linen. Definitely. Great points, Chris. Just so we don't roll over an hour, I think we will call it there. I mean, loads of subjects we can go into on depth on that, but I think equally, I hope you guys got some good value out of that. I think there was a fair few tidbits in there that we wish we'd known when we were sort of starting our, and growing our business. So hopefully you'll find useful. I suppose we'll kind of close it off there and wish you all a lovely weekend. Chris, you got any final remarks? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care. Happy days. Thank you very much, guys. And remember, if you want success, create win-wins. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the SA Club podcast. We hope you found it useful. And if you want to connect with us more, check us out on Facebook at The SA Club or on our website at theessayclub.co.uk. We wish you all the best of luck with your service accommodation journey. And remember, if you want success in life, create win-wins. Thanks, guys, and take care.